At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan. Well, good morning, Woodside. I am one of the pastors here. It's my pleasure to be able to work with children most of the time, but I also find great joy in being with you here today. I don't say that flippantly. I do have joy in this church family. You guys have met so much to myself, my family, and this happened last hour too. Like these aren't fake tears. I am so thankful for you guys. Um, it is Family Worship Sunday, so the kids are in here. If you're a kid, can you just stand up, sit down real quick, just so I can see like a little wave all over the place, all right? I see some of you, great. Um, so glad, I always tell them, it's, I, I, I love seeing them um, on Sunday mornings. They are so special. And as they, you know, they are part of the church right now. And they're also part of the church to come. Their reach is going to go beyond your reach. Their years are going to go beyond your years. Are they worth investing in? Are they worth treating with the utmost importance? Yes, they are. They're going to carry the torch farther than well we can carry it. So please don't look down on children. Invest in them. Look for ways to invest in them. And um, be thankful for them. They might be a little rustly here in the auditorium and moving around. And you were there once. You know what it's like. And uh, we can get through it. Some of them might have kids' notes. And I was blessed to receive some of these after the first service. And so, kids, if you fill these out during the service and bring them to me, put your name on it. I just find great joy in looking at, at what they write down. And uh, even if you, some of you adults, you know, you want to do that, you like the crayon thing, go ahead, help yourself. And I won't be distracted if you go back and, and get some in the back uh, lobby area. Okay, well, um, there was a lot of announcements before I came up here. I almost felt like there was, should be a need for an intermission, but uh, we'll, we'll continue to, to move forward here. We, uh, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We're continuing our service, our series called Why Bother? And the title of today's message is The First Family Conflict. Now, if you have never had a conflict within a family or people in your realm, this message is not for you. There's a couple exits back there. You might as well leave right now. Don't leave. Okay, I'm just trying to loosen up the audience here a little bit. Um, where there's people, there's going to be some conflict. And I'm looking forward to digging into this passage with you all. Okay, well, we're going to be going back to the first family conflict at the beginning of the book of Genesis. And with a church this size, there's some here that might say, you know what, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm not 
totally convinced on the book of Genesis, uh, creation, the Garden of Eden. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Well, let me invite you to this, 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 uh, uh, this dilemma that we have here. You know, Christ, he believed in the book of Genesis. He believed in creation. In Mark chapter 10, verse 6, he references Adam and Eve. And so if, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you have to believe in his teachings. And if you believe in his teachings, then you also, also must believe in the book of Genesis because it was important enough for him to bring it up. So let's get familiar with the passage, Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read through verses 1 through 21. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the Spirit said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock, and above all the beasts of the field. On the belly you shall go, and to the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. For the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. He curses the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. 
So it's God's Word. The big idea for today is this. We were made for community, but sin separates us. There's a well-known English poet named Alfred Lloyd Tennyson. One of the poems is a line that says, Is it better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all? That statement brings us to one of two questions. One, is it better to have the joy of loving someone and the pain of losing that someone? Or is it better to have never loved that person and avoid the pain of losing them? Well, I know that that concept might be kind of heavy for a Sunday morning and it's family worship Sunday. And so one of the things that I like uh, bringing up in kids' church is just stories about animals and uh, um, a pet illustration. So just have to bear with me. I don't mean to undermine the, the seriousness of relationships between people, but we also have kind of some relationship between our, uh, our pets at times. So um, I would like to talk about dogs for a brief moment. Now, why do people enjoy dogs? You know, you think about that. What is, what is the big draw? Um, is it when they're a puppy and they're just so cute? You just like, you're just like drawn in, sucked in. Um, is it the fact that their tail wags and, you know, like it, they're just, they seem to be happy? Um, they also can show the, you know, like when they're sad too, like when their ears droop down. You just can read a dog. You know what they're thinking. Um, but why do people like, like these four-legged creatures? Maybe you don't, and so you're just going to have to endure this, this uh, illustration. Um, but my wife and I, um, we will have been married 23 years this coming summer. And in our, in our married life, we've, we've welcomed in uh, some different dogs. In fact, we've had five different dogs during our, our marriage so far. And we've named them all after Wisconsin sports teams, because that's kind of where I come from, or coffee, which is something dear to our heart and to our taste buds. And so our first dog was a Cocker Spaniel named Packer, and that dog was a really great dog. Um, I am, by the way, a sympathetic Lions fan. I hope that they do well someday. Um, but our second dog was named Timber. I liked the name of that dog, but it was named after the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. It was our first Springer Spaniel. And then we switched to coffee names. Our third dog was a dog named Starbuck. Um, that dog was a disaster. Our family's 50-50 on Starbucks. But we, that dog was not a family-friendly dog, and so its life was better suited out in the country, and, and that dog didn't last very long in our, our household. Then we had our fourth dog, which was also a Springer Spaniel, and that dog uh, was very fast. Its name was Espresso, and we loved that dog. And then now we have our fifth dog of our married fam thus far, and that dog's name is Luna, named after a coffee shop in in uh, Wisconsin, and uh, we spoiled that dog like crazy. So after the passing of our first three dogs, the thought would come to my mind after each and every one of them, wow, um, their absence really affects me. 
I don't understand why something like a pet being come part of the family would affect my emotions that much. You know, like it's one thing if my four daughters are tearing up, but I'm a grown man and I, I would tear up after the passing of them. And then, you know, thinking like, would I ever want to go through this emotional roller coaster again? You know, the, the, uh, the disastrous side to having a puppy. I had one dog that spread God's word all over our house and, and I didn't care for that moment. Um, so there's a ser- that, that season of training. But we always come back to the conclusion that, yes, we had a lot of great memories with those, with those. And so we'd always end up getting another one. And they were worth the, worth the time and, and the, we had great joy out of that. You know, on a much more serious matter, the relationships to people matter. They really do. And we're going to learn about the extent of that today. But not only that, our relationship with Jesus Christ also matters. And that needs to have center stage in our hearts. These relationships are are worth fighting for. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, we have an account of creation. And in that book, it lists, I'm, I'm so glad that it's there. God created something, and then he would follow up that creation with, it was good. You'll notice in verse 3, God created the light. He saw the light, and it was good. Verse 10, God created the sky and the dry land, and when God saw it, he said, it was good. This pattern would take place seven times, where God states that what was created was good. It was really good, in fact, at the end, verse 31. But then we move to Genesis chapter 3, and we get a detailed description with creation of the first man, Adam. Verse 18 says something really interesting, though. God stated that something was not good. It says, it was not good that man should be alone. So creation was good, 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 a couple times good, very good, and then it was not good that man should be alone. So we were not made to be lonely. We were not made to be isolated. We were not made to be reclusive. The rest of Genesis chapter 2 brings the remedy. The remedy is Eve. So, let the relationships begin. By God's design, we were made for family. We were made for community. We were made for fellowship. However, we also know that with relationships, there's going to be conflict. So today we're looking at the first family conflict and um, the key question of the day. How can we experience reconciliation in relationships. So kids, as you're taking notes, point number one is this. Listen to the truth of God's voice. Looking back to the passage, I like to reread verses 1 through 6 so it's fresh in our minds. So starting again at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, 
But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall he touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So early in this relationship of Adam and Eve, we have the serpent entering the scene. The serpent, the devil, the deceiver, we know that he has a primary mission according to Jesus. John 10.10, Jesus says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Specifically, relationships. So the serpent wastes no time going after his target, his target being Eve. He starts off by totally misquoting what God had told Adam and Eve. Notice in verse 1, he asks this question, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So that question of any tree versus one tree is a very different scenario, making God sound to be unreasonable. That, no, you can't have any of it. None of it is, you're allowed. Well, Eve does correct the serpent when she adds, but she adds to the command by saying, not only can we not eat of it, we're not even to touch it or we'll die. Well, God did tell them that they can eat uh, um, God did tell them that they can eat of the trees. We can't eat of the, the one tree. He didn't say anything about not touching it. So the serpent is starting to lure the woman in, in this scenario, placing first just a seed of a doubt. But then he follows that little seed of a doubt with a greater doubt and a question. And then we'll see in the following verses that he straight out contradicts God's word by saying, you won't surely die. Well, Adam and Eve would both fall to the deception. They didn't trust the boundary that God had in place for them. The relationship with God is going to be broken and the relationship between each other is going to be fractured. They listen to the voice of the liar rather than the truth of God's voice. You know, this pattern by the devil is repeatedly used. It really is. He tried to use it on Christ, where after Christ spent that period of time of prayer and fasting with his father, he is approached by the devil, trying to tempt him, trying to get him to to fall to his, his temptations. However, Christ did not fall to the temptation. Rather, he responded three out of three times with using Scripture, not adding or subtracting. He used God's Word to cause the enemy to run. 
the, the lure of the trap just didn't work on Jesus. And uh, um, he set an example for us. But then there's also another, um, well, before I get to that, I just got to break things up here. I like fishing. Any of you like fishing at all? Couple, couple, couple hands. Okay, I had a friend that um, loved to fish. I learned uh, fishing from my dad, from this friend, but this friend had one go-to lure. And whatever fish that he tried to catch, it seemed like that lure would work. I won't give you that the kind of lure because that's secret, you know. Um, but it was very simple. He would uh, cast, crank, and catch. And it was so easy for him. Why would he need to go to any other lure but then that one lure because it worked every single time? I tried to buy a lure that looked like his. It just didn't work the same, but it worked for him. Why would he go to anything else? Well, the enemy, Satan, he has his go-to lures that work for him. Why would he change it up? So do you think that he still uses his strategies today on, on his people today? Placing a seed of doubt, followed by some questioning, followed by bold face lies rather than us following the truth of God? Well, for sure, for sure he uses that tactic. He used it on Adam and Eve. He used it on Christ. And you better believe that he is going to use it on you if he hasn't already. He's trying to pull you in. But going to the outline, back to the outline, point one, we need to listen to the truth of God's voice. What does that mean? How do we apply that? Well, in some level of format, we need to be receiving God's word. That's what Jesus did. He used it on those attacks. Feeding on God's word by reading it or, or listening to music that connects God's word to your heart and to your soul and, and, and making that a part of your regular life. We need God's word to be able to stand up against the lure, the tactics of the enemy. It's where truth resides. Also realizing the spiritual warfare that's taking place. Asking for the Holy Spirit to help you recognize truth rather than the lie. These, these, these ideas will help us change our, our perspective on relational conflict. But secondly, we learn from this first family conflict by putting away false ways of defending ourselves. Point number two, kids, if you're filling in the notes, set aside false ways of defending yourself. Let's go back to these verses, starting in verse 7, reading verse through verse 13. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Then he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? 
The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So following the wrongdoing mentioned in verse 6, we see a familiar pattern of human response that also happens today. In verse 7, we have the cover-up. Trying to, to, to disguise the scene. Trying to hide the truth. But then we have in verse 12, we have the diversion of Adam. Trying to, to shift the blame onto Eve. But then we have Eve using part of that same tactic to divert the position and being the victim. I was in an unfair circumstance. So we have this, this cover-up. We have this diversion. We have this blame game. We have, I'm the victim in this scenario. This conflict is going nowhere fast. Neither are, are taking on any level of responsibility. So in order to get anywhere towards reconciliation, we're going to need to set aside the false ways of defending yourself. In relationship building class 101, if there was such a class, relationships won't be mended if you're hiding the truth. It's just not going to happen. Relationships won't be mended if you're diverting or blaming Relationships are not going to be mended if, if you're going to play the victim in the scenario. And maybe in some ways you were, it was unfair. But this is not a good recipe for restoration. On the flip side, commercial for Flip Camp. Flip side, Flip Camp. Um, yes, please enroll your kids and... Uh, help serve our kids by signing up. Okay, back to the lesson. What would be the best approach? Rather than hiding the truth, being open with the truth. Rather than diverting the blame game, admitting when you are wrong, humbling yourself, apologizing. And then Jesus added another tactic that is oftentimes used to go with this using the casting judgment tactic. He mentions this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, when he says this, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In this passage, Jesus shares some pretty passionate words coming from someone who would know the thoughts and the conversations of his audience, calling them out, you hypocrites. Can you imagine being in that setting and receiving that? And what was Jesus wanting to get out of the people in his audience then and even today? You know, I could spend, we could spend a whole message on that one verse. But in a nutshell, if you feel like you're right 100% of the time, 
and the other person or circumstance, they're wrong 100% of the time. There's just something that's just not adding up there. I encourage you to, to take a step back. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth about yourself in that scenario. Back to the outline. Listen to the truth of God's voice. Second, set aside false ways of defending yourself. And the final step towards reconciliation is receive God's gracious provision. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. You know, in verses 14 to 19, I didn't reread all those verses, but God responds to the defense of Adam and Eve by cursing the serpent and then letting them know how the rest of their life is going to be different. However, in verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. You ever think about that passage? What does that verse mean? Well, it means that there had to be a sacrifice for them to be clothed. So this is new territory for Adam and Eve. Because what were they doing? They were taking care of these, these animals in the garden. They were taking care of the trees and the vegetables. And, and they, were, they, were, they were around them. But there was a sacrifice. A sacrifice had to be made for them. But you know who did the covering? God did the covering. And God's covering was much better than the skimpy leaves that they were sewing together. We also have an early indication of the importance of sacrifice and the final perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ that would fully cover us today. You know, in conclusion, if we are secure in our most important relationship, the fact that we're forgiven, that we're beloved, that we're secure, that we're accepted, then we don't have to win every fight. Who cares? We don't have to take criticism personally. We don't have to prove or justify ourselves. Rather, in Christ, we are free, not bound by our faults and our failures. In the beginning, we ask ourselves the question, are relationships worth it? The answer is yes, but it's not really the question we should be asking because we were made for community. The question should be, how can we experience reconciliation in relationships? Listening to the truth of God's voice, set aside the ways of trying to defend yourself, receiving that, that covering, receiving God's gracious provision. We have to take a step back and look at our relationships. You know, I don't know if the Holy Spirit is prompting a relationship in your heart, mind right now. You know, the enemy, the enemy doesn't want that relationship to ever be restored. The enemy wants that, that relationship to, if anything, stay as is or get worse. 
He wins when that relationship is not restored. But on the other side of it, Jesus, Jesus wants to heal that relationship. He wants to fix it. He wants to be glorified through it. So how are you? How are you doing in this? Maybe you're in a season right now that your relationships are good and maybe you need to be ministering to those that are going through a difficult time. We're not meant to be stagnant people. Our church family, we need to be moving, working, following. But for any of you that are dealing with a broken relationship, God can heal it. Let him. Oh, Lord Jesus. We understand that the relationship that matters most is our relationship with you. Lord, if there's some that are, that are trying to hide, they're trying to cover up, oh, Lord, I pray that you would nudge them to open themselves, God, to you that they would be truthful before the great I am, knowing that like in the garden, Adam and Eve, they could not hide. They can't run. We can't run and we can't hide because you see us, you see us as we are. And you love us and you want to fix us. Lord, so I pray that if there's any that are in that scenario, God, I pray that you would touch their hearts right now, Lord Jesus. Do what only you can do and heal them. I pray that they would, they would run after you, God. But Lord, I also pray that you be with the broken relationships of the lives of the people in this auditorium and those that are online, God. I pray that they would, that they would also surrender, be open and honest with you and their relationships. God, that, that they would be willing to move into that season of healing. It's so much better. Why live in the land of the broken? Lord Jesus, we, we invite you to come to heal us. We know that, that you can heal our church body and you can heal our nation. We just have to humble ourselves before you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can come together in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.